Tom Parker, and welcome to the Next Five podcast, brought to you by the FT Partner Studio. In this series, we ask industry experts about how their worlds will change over the next five years and the impact it will have on our day to day. This week, we're focusing on the future of AI, and I'll be speaking with Harish Sundaresh, Vice President of Loomis Sales, about how AI is used in the finance sector, the pros and cons of its use, and the outlook for the next five years. One of the data sets, for example, we use is to track crude oil shipments, wherein we can actually get real-time location of these ships and what these ships contain. But now imagine that data falling into the wrong hands, such as, you know, the pirates at sea. Then they will be able to track down these containers in no time because they will be able to find out where these ships are going, where they are currently, and what these ships contain. In 1951, the first working AI program was written for the Ferranti Mark I computer at the University of Manchester in the UK. The program played a simple game of checkers at an amateur level, but was a milestone achievement for its day. In 1956, arguably the first automated reasoning AI program, called Logic Theorist, was demonstrated at the Carnegie Institute of Technology. A year later, the term artificial intelligence was first coined. Soon, computer scientists and science fiction writers predicted widespread uses for AI in the future. But it's no longer a game or a movie genre. AI now has real-life purpose in every industry, and its integration is only set to increase. A study produced by IBM in 2020 found that three in every four businesses worldwide are already exploring or implementing AI into their functions. The global market, including software, hardware and services, is expected to be worth $330 billion by the end of this year and $500 billion by 2024. But one sector that has lagged slightly behind in the uptake of AI is the finance sector. Here to offer human insight into artificial intelligence in the financial world is Harish Sundaresh, Vice President at Loomis Sales. It is true that the adoption of AI in finance has lagged other industries by quite a bit. In fact, I believe that you know we are a few years away from an industry-wide adoption of AI, and I think there are a few reasons for the same. The first and most important reason, I believe, is any machine learning or uh, deep learning algorithm requires large amounts of data. So while data sets in medicine and advertising and uh, et cetera can be quite large, financial data, on the other hand, aside from some high-frequency financial data sets, are actually quite small. This makes prediction quite difficult. So it's not for the lack of trying, but unfortunately, a lot of people have tried but failed to generate alpha in the markets using AI. The second reason, I think, is that the problem we are trying to solve is quite different. Financial data is notoriously non-stationary, making time series prediction actually quite difficult. Whereas there are other areas such as online advertising, cancer detection, you know, self-driving cars, which is the next big thing, robotic vacuums, these are much more stationary problems. And here I quickly want to define what stationary is. It, it essentially means that you know, there are no dramatic regime changes over time. And if there are, like in the case of financial data, that makes prediction quite difficult. Let's hit the brakes there for a second. Stationary or non-stationary is also known as weak or strong AI. 
Weak AI performs a specific task pre-programmed by a human hand. This can be found in the Siri function on your phone and other chatbots. Strong AI performs multiple functions and teaches itself to solve problems on the fly without human involvement. It's otherwise known as machine learning. The use of AI in autonomous vehicles is a great example of the need for the evolution from weak to strong AI. There are six levels on the autonomous car scale, with no automation at level zero, to level five, full automation, where no human interaction is required at any point. Tesla's autonomous cars are the most famous example of a level two. In March this year, Honda released the first road-legal level three self-driving production car. Currently only available in Japan, it can drive itself without human help in certain conditions, like on a motorway or when stuck in traffic. But that's not that impressive when you look at the claims made in recent years. Uber predicted most of its fleet would be fully self-driving by 2020. At the moment, we seem to be stuck still asking, how much milk do you like in your cup of tea? I.e., how strong is weak? I think it is somewhat fathomable in, to imagine a world in the next few years where self-driving cars are operating along with human-driven cars. And that's what makes it difficult. Because if you assume that machines will make logical, rational, data-driven decisions every step of the way, there are going to be human beings who are also going to be sharing the road with these machines. And humans, as you know, will always introduce noise or disturbances into the system. While machines will do exactly what they are told and, and you know, do it well, the human element can make it somewhat unpredictable, which is why it has been difficult, somewhat difficult, to go from weak AI in autonomous cars where we are now to, to a five because it is this external noise or disturbance that is input into the system you know, through this human element. And this same concept can be extended into the financial world. So how can we use machine learning to look ahead? Right? So if you think of a crisis as a noise or disturbance to the system, much like how humans are to just the self-driven cars, the question really is, how do you avoid this next crisis? And this is why we make the analogy with cars, because it is important to forecast the future steps, right? Because how do you react to these disturbances appropriately, as opposed to looking in the rear view mirror, much like what global macro data does. So as a portfolio manager, if I'm able to look ahead and I'm able to avoid crises or be able to predict the next one, it will allow me to take corrective action. And, you know, I will be having some good years PNL wise. The pandemic has changed, obviously, everything. The way we live, work, travel, spend money. What data is out there to show this? And what has the data taught us? Because is there something that we can learn from that and predict how we're going to live in the future? Yeah, I think the pandemic has changed quite a few things, in my opinion, and it has made uh, machine learning quite prevalent and relevant. AI, as you know, is now everywhere. It has and it will impact most industries. One of my most favorite applications of AI post-pandemic is actually in the prediction of community spreading of infections. There are firms that are actually sending to your homes uh, free thermometers which will automatically upload temperature readings to the cloud every single time you use it. This data is then analyzed using machine learning algorithms, which can make 
accurate and fast prediction, especially of cluster spreading of infections in certain areas. So imagine if a city or a county got a 10-day head start to COVID before it actually rises exponentially. This, while it will not stop or prevent the pandemic, it will allow these counties to react much faster as they will really know what to expect. As a result, I think this can halt community spreading of such infections. So this, I think, is quite critical. In November last year, Google's DeepMind program, AlphaFold, solved one of biology's biggest challenges. It accurately predicted the 3D shape of proteins from their DNA sequence. How a protein works and the function it performs inside cells is based on its 3D structure. The technique could help discover hundreds of millions of proteins not yet modelled, something that scientists are calling a game-changer and one that will transform medical and drug research forever. While still in its developmental stage, AlphaFold is already helping to tackle the COVID-19 pandemic by dramatically reducing the time it takes to map the proteins in the coronavirus, a process that human-led experiments would take months to achieve. Yeah, so AI is being used in drug development and disease prediction. So the faster the use of AI has actually allowed the drugs or will allow drugs to come onto the market much faster. Imagine in earlier times, researchers would have to read millions of journal articles to make a connection between a drug and a disease. But with techniques such as natural language processing, these connections can be made in a matter of minutes. So you're going to be able to read millions of articles and make uh, triangulations or connections between these articles and try and connect drug and disease. I think this is a very exciting application of AI as it will transform the speed of drug development, you know, which typically takes 10, 20 years. Hopefully this will be uh, much shorter in, in, in time frame. Similarly, hospitals in Israel and United States have started to adopt AI-based predictive analytics. So the number of patient monitoring devices using data to train AI models has actually risen from like about 50,000 to about 3.1 million in 2021. This includes the use of AI for just preventive healthcare solutions like the thermometer uh, idea that I just talked about. So with more devices connected to AI and essentially these predictive analytical models, the hospitals will save a significant amount of money, but more importantly, they will save a significant amount of lives. So overall, I think a lot of changes will take place in the near future, and it will happen really quickly, and we will have to evolve with it. Otherwise, we will be very quickly left behind. What are the limitations of relying on AI, and what can still go wrong? All good things will come at a cost. The biggest downside I can think of is data privacy. As you know, AI requires a lot of data and a lot of that data is actually personal. So one of the data sets, for example, we use is to track crude oil shipments, wherein we can actually get real-time location of these ships and what these ships contain. But now imagine that data falling into the wrong hands, such as you know the pirates at sea. Then they will be able to track down these containers in no time because they will be able to find out where these ships are going, where they are currently, and what these ships contain. And so that makes it a problem. The next thing, for example, we have a personal credit card data. This is a very important data set for us. Right now, the data is an aggregated data set. But as we speak, you know, this personal credit card data is actually is also served in secure servers of many corporates, many you know, places you shop online. 
and they are being stolen. Everything about you, unfortunately, will be stored somewhere in the cloud and therefore data privacy and fraud detection solutions will become all the more important. So data or data privacy, I think, is a big downside to machine learning that it requires data and firms are saving all things personal and private about you somewhere in their systems. But having said that, machine learning can also be part of the solution. As more and more data is stored, data privacy solutions and fraud detection applications become extremely relevant and important. We've seen the real-life applications of AI in other industries, tracking coronavirus, predicting it, where it's going to crop up in the world, how it's going to help healthcare institutions, how it's going to drive your car. Those are real-life applications that affect our day-to-day. How will the better use of AI in finance, apart from predicting crises so that you can manage the markets better and and make better use of pension funds, how else do you think it will actually affect the investor on the streets day to day? The biggest reason to use AI is the information explosion that we have witnessed. 90% of the world's data has actually been created in the past two years. This information explosion has really made it difficult for humans to analyze and keep track of millions of data sets. In the past, I could look at three to five features and try and predict the direction of crude oil, whether it's going up, whether it's going down. But now there are hundreds of data sets, for example, the shipping data set I mentioned that tracks the movement of each and every crude oil container at sea. As a, as a portfolio manager, now it's not enough for me to just track these three to five features. I need to be looking at these hundreds of data sets for me to make an educated opinion as to whether markets are going up or down. So this concept of dimensionality reduction, wherein we can use machine learning to analyze hundreds and thousands of features or data sets to come up with a simple go long or short answer is actually tremendously useful for portfolio managers. Similarly, you know, another application is we can map parking lots of big chain stores and predict how much traffic is going in and out of these stores. So think Walmart, think Costco. As a result, you can actually predict earnings for these companies. All this requires, unfortunately, large scalable infrastructure that can not only store large amount of information, but also require the processing power to analyze the same soil. In finance, I'd say the biggest game changers are the shipping data sets, the geographical traffic data sets, the credit card statements, analyzing company earning statements in a matter of seconds, whereas in the past it used to take you know hours to analyze a single company post earnings. One data set we like is company hiring information. So if you're able to track the career page of every single company in the Russell 3000 and look at their hiring patterns to decide whether the company is growing or cutting back, I think that is uh, that could be phenomenal when it comes to generating alpha. So I think in summary, you know, Algos really enforces saying that time is money. These models and systems are able to analyze large amounts of both structured, but more importantly, unstructured data and is able to triangulate the two data sets, which is exponentially amazing when it comes to the dimensionality reduction uh, problem. And the important thing is that they do this far more accurately and quicker than humans, allowing for uh, traders and portfolio managers to make quicker, but more importantly, more convicted decisions uh, along the way. What's going to happen in the next five years? I think we are in really early territory. But I do believe that we have super exciting times ahead of us. A lot of the mundane tasks in the middle and back office will be fully automated in the next five years, especially in the financial industry. I envision a lot of chatbots as communication interfaces. For example, when a PM poses a question now, 
let's say I ask my trader, where did my trade get executed? Right. And instead of a human answering that question by combing through the thousands of trades that the trader has executed on that particular day, imagine a chatbot on the other side that is actually answering this question in much quicker time. Specifically, you know, in the, the future of AI in investing, I think natural language processing techniques could become quite mainstream. So one can determine new sentiments from analyzing millions of news articles. For example, think the daily news that's available on Financial Times or Bloomberg or Wall Street Journal. This most often allows us to capture the sentiment that is driving these markets. So think Federal Reserve, so the FOMC data that comes out. So all of these can be analyzed really, really quickly. Another low-hanging fruit with applying natural language processing is actually learning ESG information from some of these companies. So we can keep track from news articles, which company is being pulled up for pollution violations or for social reasons. And so this will allow us to keep track, not only use the scores that some of the rating agencies have, but keep a track in real time what some of these corporations are up to and whether they are adhering to sort of the new ESG standards. Critically, I think AI in alpha generation, which we talked about, hasn't really kick-started, but I think it will become mainstream. And I, the reason for that being there will be new algorithms that are developed or invented that will work better on non-stationary financial data. The problem right now is that a lot of these algorithms have been built for automating mundane human tasks. But I think going forward, there will be newer plug and play algorithmic inventions that can actually work on financial data. One thing that really excites me is blockchain technology that has been developed in parallel. Imagine combining blockchain with AI. A lot of eminent universities, MIT, Stanford, they are focusing on that. And I think there will be a lot of new applications going forward uh, in, in that arena. I think that is super exciting. But then the ultimate frontier for me is models building models. So right now, you know, we require humans to actually use these existing algorithms to build models. But I think things like Google Brain and other aspects, people are developing models that will actually be able to build these newer models. And I think we'll start seeing some of that in the next five years. And that is really exciting to me. I've always been thinking about this when you look at technological change. Remember we used to hear a dial-up tone when we were trying to get the internet. I think that disappeared in the 90s when broadband came in. Is there going to be a sound that we're now not going to hear, you know, in the finance sector because AI is going to take over? Is there going to be a new sound? Is it the sound of that ping of a chatbot popping up more than you hear the sound of your asset manager speaking? Is there some sort of dramatic change that we're going to feel more tangibly in the next five years? Yeah, great question. As you pointed out, we used to have these dial-up sounds because in the past, we used cables to connect to these networks. Then from cables, we upgraded those networks into fiber optics. Now we have things like LTE, 4G, 5G, and all of this is just in the data transmission part. So now on the other side, let's say you asked a question. So typically it could take minutes or even hours for a human to sort of comb through the data and answer your question. So you could be waiting for a while for a response. Uh, let's say customer service, right? And which everybody hates calling. But going forward, I think a combination of machine learning and chatbots will mean that one will actually only have to wait for a few seconds. So the use of AI 
in communication systems is what I think will allow us to achieve this super fast transmissibility. So I definitely do envision the use of a lot of chatbots as communication interfaces in the future. So instead of being stuck with customer service, these chatbots will be able to answer more directly and more relevant to the questions you pose. And uh, another aspect, you know, I'm sure a lot of us get calls from, let's say, private bankers who often provide you with somewhat useless information because they are typically just cold calls. Going forward, I think this information can be quite relevant and tailored to your needs. So I think these are somewhat exciting and will save us a lot of money and will help us do things faster. Renowned computer scientist Larry Tesla once said that AI can be defined as whatever hasn't been done yet. But AI is not just the future, it is now, and it's matching even our wildest sci-fi predictions. In 2018, the European Parliament even debated granting personhood to sophisticated autonomous robots, meaning they would be liable for their actions and require their own insurance. But it was deemed to be too unethical, for now. As AI becomes increasingly intertwined with our day-to-day, the idea that AI is whatever hasn't been done yet begs the question, what is still to come? That's it for the third episode of The Next Five podcast. Many thanks to Harish Sundaresh for chatting with me today, and thank you to everybody for listening. For more information on AI and the sources used in the show, please check out the episode description. Take care, and bye for now.